everyone. That sounded like it was a sermon in itself, wasn't it? It was good. Good to uh, just have some good, uh, long readings of scripture. Um, and that's what we want to do uh, with this passage uh, this morning is, you know, we continue. Uh, last week I started this uh, mini kind of series as we are in the middle of this Lenten season. And this Lenten season is a reminder that our journey is that of Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, that our lives are centered around this life of going to the cross. And last week I started off by talking about what it means to live a life of repentance. Uh, The Christian life is a life of repentance, a life of ongoing repentance, isn't it? There are things that God is always revealing and exposing. And uh, even as Pastor Lily shared, or just as she prayed, I I caught, you know, just as she was praying, uh, our anxieties. And even the roots of our anxieties, the pride. Uh, But there are all kinds of things that God is always exposing about us. And God is constantly calling us to himself. So what does it mean to live as Christ followers in our times? Uh, I entitled this The Truth, The Truth. Uh, Before we go into it a little bit more, uh, I'm going to invite you to just pray with me. And um, let's ask the Lord to speak to us and to open our hearts um, with his truth. So let's do that. Lord, as we go into this passage uh, right now, uh, there is just so much here. And... Lord, you want to minister and speak to each single one of us. Um, You want to apply your truth in the deepest parts of our hearts. We invite you to do that right now. We invite and we ask that you, by the Holy Spirit, would bring conviction, uh, bring to expose those areas of our hearts that need to be exposed. Lord, that we would live as followers of the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, those of you, most of you here remember uh, Frank and Franny Ng, and, you know, they just recently moved up uh, to the Bay Area. Uh, I already miss them uh, very, very dearly. Uh, they were in our community group, and um, we had some really great conversations together, and uh, I, I, just, I just appreciated uh, Frank and Franny and uh, some of the talks that we would have uh, before they left, uh, some pretty good conversations about truth and about, um, about what it means to follow Jesus, and particularly in his profession as a medical doctor. But I just remember um, this one dinner conversation that we had uh, shortly before they left, and um, we're, we got on to talking about different things, and then somehow... And a few of you were actually there, and I don't know if you remember this, but we got on to, to the topic of this issue of integrity and truth. And he was just sharing some different things. Um, and the bottom line is that things don't always, things aren't always as they appear, right? They're not always what they really, what they seem to be. And there's a lot that people just see on the surface, but beneath that surface, uh, sometimes there's deception, there's uh, all kinds, there's hypocrisy, there's all kinds of different things. And we're, so we're talking about this. And it was interesting because Frank actually brought up 
the, the former FBI director, uh, James Comey, and the, the uh, former FBI director at one point was faced with all kinds of accusations of leaking classified information, of mishandling information, all of these things. And Comey's response was very interesting. Um, I don't know where he's at in his faith. I don't know if he is a follower of Jesus himself or if he has a particular liking for the scripture or what. But his response was he tweeted, he just simply tweeted this one phrase from the Bible, Amos chapter 5, verse 24, which says, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. That's all he tweeted. C.H. Spurgeon made an insightful comment one time about truth. He said, if you want truth to go around the world, you must hire an express train to pull it. But if you want a lie to go around the world, it will fly. It is light as a feather and a breath will carry it. Isn't that true? Integrity and truth in this world, in our culture, in our day and age, is something you must fight for, right? You must fight to discover what it is and who's really telling the truth or not. Because the reality is that um, we live in a time, in a culture that is filled with half-truths, spins, deceptions, even outright lies. And sometimes we ask the question, well, who can you really trust? Where is truth? Well, this passage in John uh, chapter 18 is an answer to that, I believe. The context of this passage that we're looking at in John chapter 18 is this familiar passage, I think, for most of us, is Jesus is, comes before Pontius Pilate as he's about to go to the cross. And this context, in this passage, we see that Jesus has been arrested. And he's been arrested by the Jewish leaders who have been conspiring and been scheming to find the perfect time to just nab him, right? But Jesus knows his time is coming. And it's not a surprise for him. But he goes through a series of trials, one before what's called the Sanhedrin, which is basically a council of the top religious leaders of, of Israel at the time. And then the Sanhedrin take him before Caiaphas, who's basically the high priest of Israel. And then ultimately, they bring him and deliver him to Pontius Pilate, and we'll see why. And Pontius Pilate is the Roman, he's a Roman uh, ambassador, he's the governor of this province in Israel called Judea, and he's responsible to assert Roman rule and reign over this, this region in southern Israel in Judea. And in chapter 18, verse 28 to 32, we come upon this passage that we just read here. It says here that they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. And it was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. 
which is interesting. The Jews were not permitted to enter into a, a, a Gentile dwelling or office or abode lest they become unclean and they are disqualified from participating in the worship of Israel in the temple and all its rituals and everything. And so they're, they're careful to bring Jesus, but they dare not go in. And it's interesting because John, this gospel writer, mentions that they uh, did not do this because they want to eat the Passover. And we know from Scripture that actually Passover ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And this is the whole irony that John is going to, to show us in this passage. That even though they're so obsessed with, with being holy and being clean, that they're completely missing the point when the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover is right before them, Jesus Christ. Well, verse 29, John goes on to write, So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And so Pilate What's up? What's going on? And if you notice the Jewish leader's response, they're, they're not even answering the question, right? They're completely evasive about why they're bringing Jesus before Pilate. Well, just trust us. Trust us he did something wrong. That's basically what they're saying. Now, it's clear that these Jewish leaders, the reason why that they are bringing Jesus before Pontius Pilate is because he blasphemed. We know that from the Gospel of Luke, that, and even later on in John chapter 19, we're gonna look at the, the, the real reason is because Jesus actually is claiming to be the King of the Jews. He's claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And of all things, this completely uh, incensed the Jews. But they're not, they're not revealing this right now. But it's interesting because Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 23, what Luke does is this. He records the leaders as saying that we have found this man, Jesus, subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. And he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. So in Luke's gospel, what he's showing is that these these religious leaders are spinning the charges around, right? What does it sound like Jesus is doing based on what these leaders are saying about Jesus? Well, he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. Is that true? No. We know that Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, to the Lord what belongs to the Lord, right? He claims to be Christ, the chosen one. A king. Is that true? Yes. He does claim to be the Christ. But what they're trying to do is these religious leaders is they're making Jesus sound like a revolutionary. And his intent is to overthrow the Roman government. That's what they're, they're spinning the charges to be. Now, Pilate, as a governor of Judea, um, he would no doubt have witnessed or he would have heard reports of this man, Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And 
the reports about Jesus would have all been favorable for those who were objective witnesses, right? He went around, he, he healed people, he tried to help uh, people, he uh, taught about peace and righteousness and these things. He did nothing wrong. So Pilate would have known, must, would have heard about Jesus, that he was a man of peace. So Pilate, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's done this. He knows these religious leaders. He knows that they're up to these games. And he's not convinced, right? Pilate is not convinced. He says, well, it says in verse 31, take him yourselves. You judge him then, <laughs> right? You judge him by your own law. He knows that like these religious leaders are just manipulating the truth. They're, they're just scheming and all this. And so he says, well, you take care of it then. Well, the, the response of the Jewish leaders is this. They say, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And that is true. Actually, in 6 AD, um, the Roman government took away the rights of capital punishment to execute anyone by death away from the Jewish nation. If anyone were to be executed, it must go through the Roman court system, Roman law. So only Pilate truly had the authority to execute Jesus. So that's why they bring him before Pilate. Now, verse 32, John records in this gospel, he says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And this is really important because what John is doing is this. He's showing us that everything that's happening in this account, all the injustice, the hypocrisy, the deception, everything that's happening surrounding the life of Jesus is not an accident. And this is really important. Every single detail of we, we find um, the whole mess in a way, but the just, the evil of it, this is all actually being ordained by God himself. That every detail, everything surrounding the cross, is something that God had planned out from before even time began. And this is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy of the Old Testament. Uh, there are no coincidences in your life. And even when you face your own injustices, and even when things are not going the way it should be, even when things are bad, uh, there is no coincidence in it. God ordains all things in our lives, everything. The mundane to the bad to the good. So verse 33, Pilate, it says this. John records, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate says, hey, come into my private office. Let's talk. Let me get down to the truth. Let me find out what's really kind of happening, what's, what's going on. So, they, so Jesus is escorted into Pilate's private office, his headquarters. Are you the king? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? In other words, did you figure this out on your own or did someone tell you this? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, 
well, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. What is Pilate to make of this? <laughs> right? My kingdom belongs from somewhere else. If, if I came from this world, you know, you'd see a military army. You'd see some guards. You'd see, you'd see some sort of resistance, opposition. But my kingdom belongs somewhere else. Pilate said to him, so you are king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And right here, in, this, in these verses, this is exactly what the Bible is saying about Jesus. All of the scripture, and this is what the, the gospel of John, but all the gospel writers are trying to get to. The one truth is that Jesus Christ is king. He is the ruler. This is, uh, this is his identity, and this is what he's finally revealing to everybody. I've come to bear witness to the truth. And we have been called to bear witness to the truth as well. Um, Jesus says that if you hear his voice, that if you see Jesus, uh, he compels you to follow him, to obey him. Everyone who hears my voice, Jesus says in John, cha John chapter 10, my sheep hear from my voice and they follow me. How do you know that, that you belong to Jesus is because you've heard his voice. You've heard him speaking and calling to you saying, that he is a king, he is a savior, and you are compelled to now completely give your life to him, to follow him. This is what Jesus does. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He, in other words, commands absolute obedience from us. Everything, every part of our life, he says, it is mine. And he commands complete allegiance, loyalty. But Pilate cannot hear it. And the reason why Pilate cannot hear it is he says this. Well, his response is, it's so cynical. He says, well, what is truth? You want to talk about truth? What, what is this thing called truth? If you look at Pilate, and the reason why he asks this question is because Pilate is cynical and he's jaded. He's been in this world, and he's been in, he's been in the world, he's been in the culture, but Pilate gave up on seeking the truth a long, long time ago. For Pilate, his worldview and his life was based on what was expedient. What would advance his career, his political career. He just knew, this is what I've got to do to make my living, to survive, and even to advance. This is what I've got to do. This is what life is all about, right? It's about, it's about getting ahead. It's about... My success, it's about my safety. It's about making it in this world. This is, what, this, is, this is what Pilate was all about. But if his heart was truly open, if his heart was really hungry and really wanting to know the truth, he would have recognized Jesus' words and he would have responded to Jesus. But he was completely blinded by his own life. He's completely blinded by his own ambitions. 
he couldn't see the truth even though it was standing right in front of him. And some people are just completely blinded, right? You bear witness to truth, but they just, they can't get it. And it takes the working of God by his spirit. God has to, by the Holy Spirit, he has to bring that conviction. Well, one thing, though, that Pilate was convinced of was this. I mean, he's pretty cynical, but Pilate actually recognized one thing that, that was true. He recognized that Jesus is innocent. That much he knew. And he didn't do anything deserving of death. He knew that much. So the gospel writer says, but after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in Jesus. I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And then for emphasis, John writes, now Barabbas was a robber. To make that point very clear. So, Pilate, even though he, even though he is scheming for his own political career and ambition, he's trying to keep the peace and all that, and he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I avoid a disaster here? He's also, he recognizes, he recognizes something about Jesus. He recognizes something about the innocence and integrity of this man, Jesus. And so he tries to figure out a way, okay, how can I get Jesus released? How can I get him freed at least? So he schemes and he plots. He's coming up with his own plans. And his own plan was this, that at Passover, apparently there was this custom where the Roman authority can release any prisoner that they want. And he's offering, he's saying, this man Jesus, he's the king of the Jews, or this rotten criminal Barabbas, he's obviously guilty. And John says he was a robber, but the other gospel writers mentioned that he was actually a real revolutionary. He actually did try to overthrow, he was part of a group that did try to overthrow the Roman government. This was what Barabbas was guilty of. He was a murderer. Uh, he committed some pretty serious crimes against the state. Well, this plan actually backfires. And the Jewish leaders, they cry out, they say, give us, give us Barabbas. Just go ahead and release him. This is exactly what Pilate didn't want to hear, right? No governor wants to see a... Um, just a, a criminal, unreformed criminal, unrepentant criminal just go out into the streets. This would disrupt the peace. So what does Pilate do? His plan kind of backfired, so he goes to plan B. And plan B is, in John chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, if you know anything about flogging, uh, you know, it's not just a simple slap on the wrist. The flogging was pretty intense, and many people would not have even survived the flogging. The type of whip that they use, where at the end of this cat of nine tails or this whip was shards of glass and metal. 
And for some of you who've seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ, and you saw how explicit and graphic it is, um, but when the Roman soldier would take that whip and then just, it would go latch onto the skin of its victim and just shred the skin off, the muscle tissue, and imagine being whipped 39 times in that same fashion. Most people would, would not even survive. And by the end of this, your body and your face is so disfigured, you're barely recognizable. You're, you're, you are just of your former self. I mean, it's, it's not even the same. And verse 2, John records, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. So they take these, these thorns and put it on his head. You can imagine just the blood dripping down his face. They put this purple robe to mock him, to shame Jesus. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Could you imagine just the utter humiliation, the complete scorning and the mocking. It's, just, it's not just the physical. You, you and I, all, we all know that physical pain is one thing. We can bear physical pain, but shame, humiliation, that's pain on a whole different level. And that's worse. And Pilate went out again, and he said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. What's Pilate doing? Well, the Passover scheme didn't work. So maybe if, maybe if they see how badly Jesus has been punished and whipped and he's been, uh, the, the torture and the shame and the humiliation, maybe the, this will satisfy their, their bloodthirst. Maybe this will do the trick, right? This is what Pilate is trying to, fig, to do. Um, but it says, well, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, a purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. And when chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to, him, to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. They were just ruthless. Verse 7, Jesus, the Jews answered we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Why would Pilate be more afraid? Why would Pilate, Jesus, when, when Pilate hears this accusation against Jesus, he made himself to be the son of God. He claimed to be the son of God. All of a sudden, there's something about that statement where Pilate says, maybe could this be true? Is there something different about Jesus? Is he something, someone more than just an ordinary person? It's all beginning to click in his mind. So verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Like, who are you? But Jesus gave him no answer. That's pretty scary. If I am Pontius Pilate's shoes and I just witnessed what Jesus went through and I'm, 
me, like, tell me your real identity. Just between you and I, who are you really? And he's just utterly silent. I mean, this silence would have been deafening to my, to my conscience, to my soul. And in verse 10, it's interesting. John writes, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? You know, at this point, Pilate, as someone who's used to calling the shots, as someone who has this authority to execute, to take away life, to serve the capital punishment on someone, to take someone's life, most people, if they had gone through what Jesus had gone through, I think they would have been begging for their life. They have been pleading for mercy. They have been saying, please help me. Please have mercy. They said, please save me. Save my life. Like, I'm innocent. I, they would have been pleading to be released. But Jesus' response, so telling, um, is, is they're pleading Jesus says, well, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. My kingdom is not of this world. This is what he's saying. And the only reason why you are standing in the place that you're standing is only because my God my father is the one who's giving you this authority. That's the only reason. And Jesus is plainly telling Pilate that his, he's from heaven and his authority is much greater than Pilate's. And ultimately, everyone will give an account to God himself. Everyone. For how you used the things that God gave you, your authority, your power, the responsibility, the real judge, the real person we give account to is God himself. So verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. What what are the Jews doing at this point, the religious leaders? They're basically pulling out the trump card. Jesus, as he claims to be the king, This is it. I mean, Pilate has no choice, basically, as in his position or in his position of authority. Anyone who claims to be a king or anyone who who claims to be an authority other than Caesar himself, by Roman law, must be executed. There can be no lord, there can be no authority, but Caesar alone. And so anyone claiming to be an authority besides Caesar Um, This was the ultimate act of treason. And so the religious leaders are saying, well, you know, we are are friends of Caesar. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was a day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. 
And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to, to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. They, didn't, they weren't truly loyal to Caesar, but they had their own plan and agenda. And they put their final pressure on Pilate. And this was it. Now, Pilate, what does he do? Do I go with what's expedient? Do I give in to the, pure, the, the, the pressure of the crowds? Do I give in to their lusts? Or do I stand up for what I know to be true and right? Verse 16, in one simple phrase, John writes, So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. He made his choice. Sadly, Pilate gave in. And in Matthew chapter 27, Matthew adds an interesting detail to this. Matthew says that as Pilate was saying these words, he literally washed, he went to this water basin, he washed his hands in this water, and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. In other words, Pilate knew he himself was guilty. He had violated his own conscience. He, he went against what he, deep in his gut, in his heart, he knew was the right thing to do. And yet he went directly against it and just caved in to the pressure of the religious leaders. He said, it's on you. And he blame shifted it to them. But God knows. And he came up with his own solution to try to absolve his guilt. He tried to, he tried to, you know, he's, he's washing his hands as a symbol, as a way to say, this is my own way of saying I'm innocent. But we know in God's eyes, you, you cannot just absolve yourself of your own guilt. It's really sad. Church history records that years later, in the year A.D. 40, that Pilate ended up committing suicide, taking his own life. And the very guilt that he bore and that he lived with to the very end of his life, knowing what he had done to the very Son of God, to Jesus himself, he carried that and it tore him up. It, it killed him, literally. Well, what does it mean? You and I have been called to bear witness to Jesus, the truth. Truth is not just a concept. It's not just simply a set of propositions. Truth ultimately is a person. And the truth is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says that I am the way. I am the truth. He is the life. This is who Jesus is. And to know the truth and to follow the truth is not just simply in our minds to agree or to say, yes, I believe this is in our minds, this is what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. It is actually to follow Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus means that we will actually walk in his footsteps as well. If Jesus faced opposition and challenge from all the people around him, do we expect anything different for us as well? Do we expect that our life would just go smooth sailing without any serious test to what our true allegiance is all about. Um, 
at one point, some of you know that I had served uh, as, a, as an Air Force chaplain. And there was, uh, when, I was a, when I was a college pastor, uh, I had a ministry towards um, these Naval Academy midshipmen. And God had really blessed that ministry. And I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed going to the U.S. Naval Academy, uh, just meeting with the midshipmen there and doing Bible studies with them, uh, ministering the gospel, having them over at our house. And so I, at one point I felt led and I felt compelled to really consider uh, ministry in the military. So I ended up, um, you know, long story short, you know, ended up in the Air Force. And I remember um, the chaplain who interviewed me uh, before I joined the Air Force. And uh, he was a lieutenant colonel. And at the end of the interview, he said something that was very interesting. And he had been in uh, the service for about 20 years. And he said to me, the longer you stay in the Air Force, the more taxes you have to pay to Caesar. I didn't understand a clue of what he was talking about. Like, why are you talking to me in riddles? <laughs> Um, what? I really didn't get what he was saying to me until I actually went in. Now, let me qualify this by saying that I love the military. I love those who serve in the, in the military. Um, you know, as a veteran myself, I, I have a real love uh, for those who are serving and even for military chaplains. I have uh, some friends who are in the military chaplaincy right now, and they're doing great ministry, and they're great, they're, they're great people. So I have high regards. But uh, what happened was this. Um, in my first assignment as a chaplain, um, I got assigned to this base. And what was interesting is my supervisor, my immediate uh, raider, uh, he was a major. And uh, he had been a graduate of a very good school, Dallas Theological Seminary. I thought, oh, this is really great, you know. Um, I love DTS, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. It's pretty in line with, you know, with, with what I believe in all that. And I thought, we're going to just hit it off, and this is going to be really great. Everything. Well, one aspect of the chaplaincy is this. Uh, we get invited, as a chaplain, you, you get invited to give all kinds of prayers for all kinds of occasions. So we give invocations, benedictions, change of command ceremonies uh, for all different, uh, for banquets, uh, for memorial services, for commander services, um, or ceremonies, all of these things. And there is an unwritten code in the chaplaincy, and that is this, that as a military chaplain, when you give, go up to give an invocation or prayer, pray all you want, just don't mention the name of Jesus. That's the dirty little secret. And I don't know if you know that. Now, here's the thing. The reason, why they, the reason why there's this strong, strong, unwritten code not to mention Jesus in your prayers is because, well, we live in a very pluralistic environment. And you and I, you, we face this all the time, right? In your marketplace, wherever, um, you know, there's, in our culture, don't say Merry Christmas, right? Happy holidays or whatever. But uh, there's a strong uh, anti-Christian bias in a way. And at first, I thought, well, okay, this makes sense. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to, um, you know, I, I think I could do my ministry. It's just a prayer. 
saying Jesus at the end is not a magic formula. I, I can be praying my spirit to God without having to say the name of Jesus. So I kind of rationalized it in my own mind. And it worked for a while. But I just remember after a while feeling very, very convicted, like deep in my heart. And I just remember, I just began wrestling like, is this right? <laughs> Have I just bought into the system? Is this just something I expediently believe and it's easy to just hold on to this, to this rationale just because really deep inside what's really driving it is, well, I just want to stay in the system. I don't want to get out. So I'll, I'll, I'll acquiesce. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and give in to that. That's fine. It's pretty minor. It's not a big deal. Well, God would not let me have it, so to speak. And it began to really bother me. And as days and weeks and months would go by, like, it would just press heavier and heavier on, on my heart. So I started praying in the name of Jesus. And I started ending my prayers. Well, I'd say this. I would say, and I conclude this prayer. Uh, please feel free to conclude this prayer according to your religious tra tradition. I would pause and I would say, but I end but I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I thought that was both respectful, but yet it would be integrous to what I believe is right. Well, believe it or not, several airmen came up to me and said, chaplain, you're the first chaplain I've ever heard who prayed in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. And, you know, like, they would be like, oh, thank you. you, you you're really, like, you're really authentic. You're really true. I go, okay, I hope so, <laughs> you know. But the one place where I got the persecution was not from the airmen, the commanders. The one place I got the heaviest flack was from the chaplains, especially my immediate supervisor, my immediate raider. He called me into his office. He kind of just chewed me out. What are you doing? I've heard that you're praying in the name of Jesus. And I affirmed, yes, yes, sir, I am. He said, you know, like, you can't be doing things like that. I, and I said, sir, with all due respect, um, I'm not here, I, I do not mean to disrespect anybody or other faiths. I'm respectful for of people who have all different kinds of beliefs. But I feel as a Christian chaplain that it would go against my conscience and it would go against my faith if I were to pray in anything other than the name of Jesus because I'm a Christian chaplain. I, rep I represent Jesus. This is why I'm here. I'm not here just as a general religious person. Well, he wouldn't have it. And his next words after that is, was this. He literally told me, David, I guess you don't want to stay in the Air Force, do you? Yeah. Um, you know, I love the Air Force and I love the ministry. And I love the people in it. Yes, it was challenging. There was all kinds of things that were difficult, but uh, it was a great ministry. And those were not the words that I wanted to hear. But uh, he threatened me, and he took me off the rotation. He, um, in different ways, kind of undermined me and kind of shamed me in front of the other chaplains as well. I won't get into all the details, but that's what he did. But in my conscience, I knew that I just couldn't compromise. So do what you will. If you, if you need to kick me out, you can kick me out. But I cannot compromise what I know in my heart to be the right thing. Now, I will say this. 
Uh, you know, God, I think, you know, in his grace, he moved that chaplain along and brought a, another, replaced him with a very godly man who might consider to be like a spiritual father to me. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So in the end, I actually did make a choice on my own to separate from the Air Force. Uh, I wasn't kicked out or whatever because of that. And, um, and it was a very good separation. But I think for all of us, we all have to make our choice in our hearts. And we just came back from a seminar Vicki Warren gave this morning about marketplace evangelism. And there is heavy pressure in our culture. Hey, keep your faith to yourself, right? Like just keep it to yourself. Now, I will be the first one to tell you we never, never, never should be proselytizing, forcing our faith onto other people. Never, we should never be doing that. That's not the way of Jesus. But in our hearts, you've got to decide who is you're going to give ultimate allegiance to. Is it to Jesus as your king? Or are you kind of giving in to or passing by moments and opportunities just because you're afraid, ashamed? Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me my words or denies me, I will deny him before my father. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. And we all have to make our choice in our heart of hearts who we give ultimate allegiance to. Our ultimate calling in this world is to be worshipers of God and witnesses to Jesus. This is our foremost identity more than anything else. And we have to make our choice. Who will we give allegiance to? And I will say this, that if you live in this world, you cannot just live and be unscathed. You have to be willing to pay the price. Bonhoeffer put it like this, that he says, cheap grace is a grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is a preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. When we look at this story, who are the Pontius Pilots? Who are the Jewish leaders who said crucify him? It's actually you and I. You and I are the ones who are actually guilty. Will we have acted any differently than Pontius Pilate? Will we, if we lived at that time, will we have been any different? You and I, the reason why Jesus came is because God knew that in our hearts, that we had given our hearts away to other gods. We had given our hearts to other things in this world, to other lusts. But Jesus Christ, who came, he came, was crucified, he took on the humiliation, he took on the shame, he took on the guilt that you and I deserve so that he could set us free to offer his forgiveness and his love. This is what Jesus did for you and I. Yes, we are guilty. And as we're guilty, as we come before God and we confess, Lord, we have, we have forsaken you. We have given our heart to this world. Jesus Christ offers his free grace to say, come, follow me. I will forgive you, but follow. And if you follow, I will be with you because I've been 
where you've been. I've gone before you. So let's come. And as Paul said, that this Jesus who came, God has exalted his name above all names, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, you would work in our hearts. I pray that you would, even right now, as we are confronted with different things in our lives, help us to make choices to follow you. To say, Jesus, that you are king and we give our loyalty, our allegiance completely to you. Forgive us, Lord, if we made anything else king in our lives. If we give our loyalty to anything or anyone else besides you. Jesus, take hold of our hearts. We thank you, God, that you are the king who sets us free by your love. Amen.